0: In our Advent sermon series, Dreamers, we'll be looking at three unique characters, Zechariah, Joseph, and Mary, and the dreams that led them through the Advent story. Dreams, visions, visitations from heavenly beings. And as we begin today with Zechariah, the husband of Mary's cousin Elizabeth and the father of John the Baptist, we'll consider some of his dreams now zechariah is a proud and established man with a respectable career but he lives with an unfulfilled dream because he and his wife elizabeth have been unable to conceive any children and they're getting on in years in this text an angel comes bearing good news to zechariah promising him that elizabeth will bear a son and that he will be named John. But when I read the scriptures, I always wonder about what isn't included. And I wonder if in the end, John managed to live up to Zechariah's dream for him.
1: A reading from the Gospel of Luke chapter one, verses five through 20 and 57 through 64. In the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah, who belonged to a priestly order of Abijah. His wife was a descendant of Aaron and her name was Elizabeth. Both of them were righteous before God, living blamelessly according to all the commandments and regulations of the Lord. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren and both were getting on in years. Once when he was serving as priest before God and his section was on duty, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and offer incense. Now at the time of the incense offering, the whole assembly of the people was praying outside. Then there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was terrified, and fear overwhelmed him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will name him John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He must never drink wine or strong drink, Even before his birth, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. He will turn many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. With the spirit and power of Elijah, he will go before him to turn the hearts of parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah said to the angel, How will I know that this is so? For I am an old man and my wife is getting on in years. The angel replied, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. But now, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time, you will become mute, unable to speak, until the day these things occur now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth and she bore a son her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown his great mercy to her and they rejoiced with her on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child and they were going to name him Zachariah after his father but his mother said no he is to be called John They said to her, none of your relatives has this name. Then they began motioning to his father to find out what name he wanted to give him. He asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. And all of them were amazed. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue freed, and he began to speak, praising God. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Amen.
0: Please pray with me. Everlasting God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations upon all of our hearts serve to glorify you. And may they be in keeping always with the teachings of our Savior Jesus Christ, whose birth we await and whose name we pray. Amen. So the naming of one's children is a very serious business. You want to choose something that's strong and noble and beautiful, something that inspires confidence, something that doesn't rhyme with any dirty words. And naturally, it has to be something that both parents agree on. When our first son was born, that was a problem. I tended to favor more grandiose monikers, names like Constantine, and Maximus Decimus Meridius. And my wife had to appeal to my ego in the end by suggesting my own middle name, Ethan, which I could hardly refuse. But when our youngest came around four years later, I would not be deterred. I wasn't sure if we should call him Leviticus or Leviathan. I suppose it didn't much matter because in the end we all just call him Levi. Now the pilgrims, our forebears and ancestors who allegedly broke bread on the first Thanksgiving, they took the naming of their children very seriously. As the preacher William Jenkin once said in those days, a good name is as a thread tied about the finger to make us mindful of the errand we came into the world to do for our master. Pilgrim and Puritan names were meant to serve as reminders of ethical behavior, hence a bunch of children running around the fields with names like perseverance, temperance, humility, and abstinence. Biblical names were also common, like Thomas or John, but some parents really went above and beyond in ensuring that their children would not forget their God-given purpose. Records of a 17th century in Sussex, uh, jury in Sussex, England, uh, show names like Kill Sin Pimple, More Fruits Fowler, Stand Fast on High Stringer, and Be Faithful Joiner, possibly an ancestor of our own, Pastor Kendra Joiner Miller. And one member of Oliver Cromwell's parliament, not to be outdone, named his son, <clears throat> If Jesus Christ had not died for thee, thou hadst been damned. But you can call me Bob, he probably said to his friends. Whether any of these children actually lived up to their parents' expectations or dreams for them, I have no idea. I don't know if perseverance persevered, if humility grew up to be humble, or if abstinence was, well, really all that abstinent. But I know that our children seldom follow our plans for them, just as most of us broke away from our parents' plans for us at one time or another. That's the mystery of Advent, too. We think we know exactly what's coming, but the Christ child never conforms to our expectations. When Zechariah, a priest, was offering incense in the temple one day, he was struck with a dream-like vision. Now it's worth mentioning that the room Zechariah is standing in, sometimes called the Holy of Holies, was a dangerous place. This is where heaven and earth were said to collide. Priests like Zechariah would sometimes tie a rope around their waists before going in so that people could drag them back out if they were to be struck dead or unconscious by the divine energy that filled the space. And so, while visions are prone to happen in there, uh, or while inhaling incense, Zechariah's dream appears to have been a full-blown supernatural phenomenon. In the words of Ghostbuster, Ray Stance, a free-floating, full-torso-vaporous apparition. But in the words of Luke, a visitation from the angel Gabriel. Now, Gabriel shares a a glimpse of the future with Zechariah. He says that his wife, Elizabeth, is going to have a son and that they are to name him John. Gabriel says that John will go on to do great and wondrous things. He will be great in the sight of the Lord, Gabriel says. Even before his birth, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. He will turn many of the people of Israel to the Lord, their God, he will turn the hearts of parents to their children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now Zechariah is suspicious of all of this, given that he and his wife are beyond their childbearing years. And to impress the point upon him, Gabriel renders Zechariah mute until his son is born. But even after his voice returns, it's not like Zechariah can simply tell his son John what to do or who to be, because as it turns out, John is very much his own man. We all have dreams for our children, expectations of how they'll turn out and who they'll grow up to be, and yes, parents have a vital responsibility to guide their children, but they aren't always in control. Parents are not puppet masters. Kids are people, too, with their own desires and ambitions and personal habits. Now, that inevitably creates some tension between children and their parents when they don't agree. And while the Gospel of Luke completely skips over John's upbringing, we can assume that Zechariah and Elizabeth were not always crazy about John's decisions, because let's face it, John the Baptist is not exactly a portrait of how you want your kid to turn out. We don't know anything about his youth, but we know that John ended up almost literally living in a van down by the river. He refused to cut his hair. He subsisted on a diet of locusts and honey, and the only clothes he owned were a a camel hair shirt, and a leather belt. I don't think the guy even wore pants. (laughs) Parents brag about their kids being accepted into uh, honors programs or prestigious universities, but no one puts a bumper sticker on their car that says, my kid is an unemployed street preacher with poor dental hygiene. Everything Gabriel told Zechariah about John turned out to be absolutely true. He was a remarkable man. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. He inspired others. He was a leader. And he paved the way for the coming of Jesus. But John's life ended up being a lot less glamorous than Zechariah or Elizabeth had probably hoped for. I mean, they probably imagined that John would be a priest like his father. That he'd have a respectable job and a good education and a comfortable life not become the the leader of a hippie commune or some apocalyptic cult, as it might have seemed to his parents. But maybe Zechariah's dream was short-sighted. And you have to wonder, in the end, if John's parents were proud of who he was, or if, blinded by their expectations, they could only lament everything that he was not. Have you ever felt like your kid is the only one who refuses to get with the program? You find yourself at some kind of a community event, maybe a a birthday party or a sports practice or a church program, and all the other kids are participating in whatever's going on, making crafts or playing catch or singing songs, whatever. But not our children, right? They'd rather be doing something, they'd rather be doing anything else? Or is it just me? We put little Levi in a soccer program for a few weeks last year. He's only he's four years old now, so he was three or four at the time. And at first he loved it, and he was, he was pretty good at it, too. He'd rave about his coach, Coach Brian, and how much fun the whole thing was. And he's got a naturally athletic build, and it seemed like he might be the very first carry to actually Excel in sports. So one day I decided to leave the office a little early to watch him practice, but I guess I must have picked the wrong day because all of a sudden it was as if someone had flipped a switch and he wanted nothing to do with any of this soccer business. While the other kids were having a good time, running around the gym, kicking the ball, laughing, Levi all of a sudden seizes up and gets very stiff. And he starts stalking around the gym with this grumpy look on his face, making these weird grunting noises. Uh, uh, and he's sorta of, sort of kinda of kicking at the ball, but not really. You know, one minute, he's, he's a little Lionel Messi. And the very next, he's turned into Frankenstein. What's wrong, Levi? Coach Bryan asked him with genuine concern. Ah, Levi replied before running out the door. And that was the end of his soccer career. Now, not to be outdone by his little brother, uh, Ethan, my older son, has always marched to the beat of his own drummer as well. He's got a little John the Baptist in him. Whenever I tell him he needs to get a haircut or at least you know comb it when it starts to look like a family of birds has built a nest on the back of his head, he replies, don't you want me to be who I am? Anyway, I can remember a couple years back at our church's Advent Festival, we were working on one of the, the banners that kids in this church have been making for decades. But Ethan isn't really one for tradition or following the rules. Can't imagine where he got that from. The banner is supposed to look a certain way, okay? There are instructions for this banner. It's supposed to evoke an image of Bethlehem on Christmas Eve, her little houses huddled beneath... Uh, a shining Christmas star. And on the bottom, there are words, and the words are supposed to say, all is bright. And this is what the banner looks like. But Ethan had other ideas. He, he arranged the buildings of Bethlehem into cryptic geometric shapes, and instead of spelling out all is bright beneath the picture, he used the letters to write the words big shirt, but he didn't glue the letter R on there very well. And after we took the banner home and hung it on the mantle, the R fell off. (laughs) Spelling out a crude message that I can't repeat here in church. At times like these, I find myself wishing that my kids were just a little more like everyone else, you know, that they would conform just a little to society's expectations of them. But if I'm being honest with myself, is that what I really want? Do I really want them to grow up and get a respectable job and a good education and live a comfortable life? Well, yeah, of course I do. I mean, we all, that's what we all want for our kids. But I want him to be successful on his own terms. I want them to be happy and fulfilled. I don't want my kids to abandon their dreams so they can follow mine. Because maybe God has dreams, too, for them and for for all of us. And maybe those dreams are bigger than anything we can envision. John the Baptist and Jesus were very much cut from the same cloth. They were cousins, after all. And neither of them ended up following the prescribed expectations of their culture. They didn't earn a lot of money They probably didn't marry, as far as we can tell. And in Jesus' case, he broke with countless laws and traditions that his entire culture was built on. And I have to imagine that Mary and Joseph struggled with that. It probably wasn't exactly what they had in mind when they were told that their son would save the world. According to the scripture, Jesus' relationship with his family was tense. In one occasion... In Mark's gospel, we're told that his parents had to physically restrain him because they feared that he'd gone out of his mind. They did not always see eye to eye. My own relationship with my mother was tense at times when I was growing up, especially when I was a teenager. Much like John, I grew my hair long. I still don't know what to do with it, but I grew my hair long. I refused to tuck my shirt in. My mom used to call me, half-jokingly, the wild man of Borneo. I had no idea what that meant, but I finally looked it up online, and it is not a flattering comparison. (laughs) For a time, I entertained the idea of going to art school, but my mother wanted me to be a doctor. From an early age, she'd tell my brother and I that she dreamed of him going to Harvard and becoming a lawyer, and she dreamed of me going to Yale Medical School and becoming a doctor. But my brother ended up in the nonprofit sector, and I ended up, well, at Yale at least, Yale Divinity School. She had dreams, and I had dreams, and as it turned out, God had dreams too. Those were the ones that I followed in the end, and I am so glad that I did because they brought me here, where I believe I'm supposed to be. God's dreams were bigger than anything my mother or I could envision. I don't like to say that God has a plan for us, really, because that suggests a rigid course of events that were funneled down as if we have no say in the matter. But I believe that God has a will a will for us, a desire, a hope, a dream that we can either choose to pursue or defy. And so it is for our children and for each and every one of us. What is God's dream for you? Imagine if Jesus or John had gone on to do everything that society or their parents expected of them. If they'd followed another person's dreams. But as a wise man once said, without me, I'm only you. And my son's words convict me. Whenever I try to make him conform to my plans or my expectations or force him down a particular road, Don't you want me to be who I am?
1: Amen.